0: Welcome to PwC's Next in Health podcast. I'm Ben Isker, leader of PwC's Health Research Institute. And with me today, we have Trina Tsideros, who leads our regulatory center. Welcome, Trina.
1: Hi, Ben. Great to be here.
0: Well, today we have a lot to cover because we've had an election. So I know most of our listeners are used to the typical pandemic update, but we're gonna switch it around a little bit and spend more time on the election. And what does a president-elect Joe Biden health plan mean for the health industry and for consumers? And everything we're going to be talking about today is going to be a piece of our recently published report, which is going to be available on our website. We'll tell you a little bit more about that as we get going. But let's do that. And Trina, I'm going to start by asking you what consumer expectations were like before the election. And we have some consumer survey data on that, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. We surveyed consumers a few months before the election, and we asked them whether COVID-19 was a top election priority in deciding who to vote for. I think the answers were really reflective of what we saw in the election and also reflective of the different experiences that different groups have had. So just some of the highlights. Interestingly, Democrats were far more likely than Republicans to say that COVID-19 was a top election priority for them. Independence kind of came between the two. In terms of consumer groups, adults with cancer, were more likely than any other group to say that COVID-19 was a top election priority. And this is not in and of itself very surprising because folks with cancer are especially worried about COVID-19 and the risk to their health of contracting the disease and then having terrible outcomes either for their cancer or from COVID-19. And a lot of adults with cancer are on chemotherapy and so that is a special risk. So they were especially worried about the pandemic. Following on from that, adults with chronic diseases, adults with multiple chronic diseases were also more likely than other consumer groups to say that COVID-19 was a top priority. When we asked consumers if they thought that the federal government should be spending more money on the pandemic, again, we had some interesting results with that. And I think I'll just point out that by race and ethnicity, there were pretty big differences. Black consumers were more likely than any other group to want the federal government to increase spending on the pandemic. And this is not surprising because Black Americans have been far more impacted than any other group in America by COVID-19. They're more likely to have gotten sick with it. They're more likely to have been hospitalized, and also to die. And so this desire to have more spending makes a lot of sense. Across consumer groups, again, we see the folks that we would characterize at HRI as frail and elderly were more likely than any other group to want more federal spending on the pandemic. They were followed by adults with cancer, adults with complex chronic diseases, multiple ones, adults with one chronic disease, and then adults with a mental health condition. So those were the top consumer groups wishing for increased federal spending on the pandemic. And you could really just rank those in terms of risk of COVID-19 having a bad outcome for them, either being you know really debilitated or passing away from it. So that also makes a lot of sense. And so those are some of the findings that we had. I'll just point out one more. Consumers that said that they had Medicare were more likely also than any other group by insurance to say that they wished for more federal spending on the pandemic. And these are older Americans, again, the highest risk group. So I think any, if you sort of cut it by highest risk, those are the folks that are wishing for more federal spending on the pandemic.
0: You know, the other piece of the analysis that we did in the report was looking at President-elect Joe Biden's health care proposals. So things that were talked about on the campaign trail that were available on the website, mentions that were made in debates. And we came up with nine proposals. And we also came up with some kind of likelihood of what we call called Gaining Traction. Could you walk us through those nine and let our listeners know where we think those are going to potentially land in a new administration? Yeah,
1: sure, sure. So I think this is a really helpful way to look at the agenda for the president-elect is to think about what are the main planks in his agenda and then what is actually the likelihood of them happening and then what's the likely impact on different parts of the healthcare industry. And so just starting with the one that has gotten perhaps the most media play the addition of a public option like Medicare for purchase on the ACA exchanges. This is the one that is talked about a lot, but we at HRI rank this as having quite a low likelihood of gaining traction. So even though there's a lot of talk about this, the reality is that President-elect Joe Biden and Democratic lawmakers would need to pass legislation through the House, the Senate, of course, and then be signed by the president. And getting it through the Senate is the tricky part. And so that is why we strike it as a sort of a low likelihood of happening, because the way that the Senate will fall either way with the runoff elections in Georgia, it doesn't even matter if two Democratic senators are added there and the Democrats gain control of the Senate, they won't have 60 votes that would be required to pass legislation, most legislation through the Senate without a single Republican vote. And so they'll need to get support. And it's likely that any Republican senator is going to support, much less many of them, a public option. So we think that has a low likelihood of happening. But You know, going through some of the ones that have a higher likelihood, increasing premium tax credits for families to afford more generous plans on the ACA exchanges. This is building on the ACA in an incremental way, which is what President-elect Joe Biden has talked about. And this has a more high likelihood of happening. We could see this happening and gaining some support because it's really sort of fiddling around the margins with offering more generous coverage to families that might already be getting tax credits to help them buy insurance on the exchanges. And so and we think this would have a positive effect on payers, on healthcare providers, on pharmaceutical and life sciences companies as well. And because of that, because of the fact that this is not a huge expansion in government and an addition of a new kind of thing like a public option, we think this has a higher likelihood of happening. Moving on to stopping surprise billing, something that President Trump has also talked about. President-elect Joe Biden also talks about stopping surprise billing. But we think this has sort of a moderate, moderate low likelihood of happening because it's an intra-industry fight meaning that you're going to have you have the payers on one side you have providers on the other side and you're asked we're asking lawmakers to weigh on one side against the other and there's not much profit for lawmakers in doing that in sort of making that kind of of decision. And so, you know, the likelihood of this happening seems moderate low. Has Depending on how the lawmakers come down, if they do decide to do this, it would have a positive or negative effect on payers. This just depends on which side kind of wins out, whose ox is gored. Providers, likely it will not be a good thing for them. We score it as negative no matter what happens. And then it doesn't really affect the pharma life sciences industry one way or the other. Limiting market concentration across the healthcare system is something that President-elect Joe Biden has talked about. And so we think that we might see more aggressive action from the Department of Justice in terms of scrutinizing deals in the healthcare industry. And so we think this has a moderate chance of of happening, that we will see this further scrutiny of deals. Could have a positive impact on payers, a negative impact on providers, and a neutral impact on Pharma Life Sciences. Most of the attention seems to be focused on the providers industry and potentially the payers, but particularly the providers. Allowing negotiation of Medicare drug prices, low chance of this happening. Lots of presidents have talked about this. Lots of lawmakers have talked about this. It requires legislation to happen. It has not happened yet. It's a very complicated thing to make happen. And so we think this has a low likelihood of happening. It would have a negative impact on payers, providers, and pharma companies. And so, you know, when you have the entire industry losing out on this, it even makes it more of an unlikelihood. So that's why we haven't seen it so far, and we don't see the landscape changing greatly. Limiting drug launch prices and price increases is another thing that President-elect Joe Biden has talked about. This is another area where he's pretty much in alignment with President Trump. And so we think this has some potential for traction. You, you could see something along the lines of some of the proposals that tie prices paid for by Part D Part D, Medicare Part D and Part B to prices paid overseas. This has gotten some traction on both sides of the aisle. President Trump has put forward some proposals. We see legislation put forward by the Senate and the House that has these kinds of proposals in it. And because of this bipartisan alignment, this might have a chance of happening. Something like H.R. 3, which has gone forward, which is a bill passed by the House that has some tying of prices to international prices. So we could see something like that. It would have a positive Impact on payers because there's likely to be some downstream effect for commercial payers, neutral for providers, and a negative impact on pharma life sciences. Allowing drug importation is another piece that both President-elect Joe Biden and President Trump have talked about. We think this has a low likelihood of happening on any large scale. Lots of lawmakers have talked about this. The reality is that the way that the FDA, the Food and Drug and Cosmetic Act is set up, is that you cannot just sort of allow consumers to buy drugs from anywhere and bring them back from overseas or over the border, they have to meet certain standards. And because of that limitation, you need either legislation or some kind of little demonstration project that has a lot of hoops to jump through that make sure that it aligns with the law. And because of that, we think it's pretty small ball, low likelihood of happening in a big way. If it does happen, it might have a little bit of an impact on payers, a positive impact, but a actually neutral impact on providers and pharma companies and then finally before i talk about the pandemic onshoring production of critical medical supplies and pharmaceuticals is another thing that president-elect Joe biden has talked about and again another area of alignment with president trump's sort of continuity with some of the talk and the trump administration and in this area we could see there has been some discussion of a stick approach and a carrot approach. And we think the stick part of it in terms of penalties, maybe tax penalties for companies that don't bring back some domestic production of certain critical medical supplies and pharmaceuticals, we think that has a less you know, less of a likelihood of happening, but that there might be tax incentives and perhaps federal investment in bringing back some of this critical medical supplies and pharmaceuticals back to the United States. Basically, because during the pandemic, we saw what a a problem it was that some of the most important medications were produced overseas in countries that if once the pandemic got going, we ended up seeing shortages due to that. We had no real capability in the U.S. to produce them by ourselves. Ditto with personal protective equipment, PPE, gloves, gowns, all of these things produced overseas. Very difficult to just sort of start up the production overnight in the United States. And so we think we'll see some kind of federal investment, some planning around that. Lastly, the, the COVID-19 pandemic response. We see already President-elect Biden naming an advisory board talking about using the federal government in a more aggressive way to address the pandemic. And I think we will see perhaps more use of the Defense Production Act to stand up some of that necessary production of PPE and medical supplies and testing in particular. President-elect Joe Biden has talked about diagnostic testing, really ramping that up so that we have far more ubiquitous Testing. And so I think what we likely will see is a more robust federal response, and that we scored as being high likelihood of happening, along with a relief bill as well, and that the impact on payers providers and pharma life sciences will be positive. So that is really President-elect Joe Biden's healthcare agenda in a nutshell, you know, with some pieces having a high likelihood of happening and then some pieces having a very low likelihood of happening. And the reality is several of his planks really have a lot of continuity with the Trump administration in some ways.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's a great summary of what folks can expect in administration in those nine areas of focus going forward.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I've, I was wondering, Ben, if you could sort of we're talking about the pandemic and one of the parts of our report explores some of the economic factors that are going on due to the pandemic. So I thought we could talk a little bit about that. One of the pieces is personal health care spending, which I mean, I think just like everything in, that's happened during the last nine months has been just a sort of one of those historic moments where there's been a huge change overnight almost in the way people are spending or behaving. And I wonder if you can walk through some of the economic data around the pandemic.
0: Yeah, it's a great question because I think as people think about what the new president's going to bring to the table and what's going to happen in the health ecosystem, we can't look at all of this out of context. And so the economics are extremely important. And as you mentioned, personal health care spending, well, really, in a report, we describe it as essentially falling off of a cliff. And why did that happen? Well, so much of the health system was shut down back in the spring. And with that, spending was essentially shut down. People literally did not go to their doctor's office or their dentist and their hospitals and their clinics. That is now turning around and personal healthcare spending this summer was already almost back up to where it was pre-pandemic. And we can also see that in the industry itself where now utilization, so the amount of services that people are using, is much more close to where it was pre-pandemic. The other thing that goes right along with that, as long as we're talking about economics, we need to also talk about the workforce and and job growth. And a same kind of tracking back in the spring and really through the summer, we saw this incredible dip in job growth. In fact, it was you know, negative growth, or as many would call it, job loss. And prior to that, we saw job growth across the health system, but you, you can break out ambulatory. Those are the clinics and walk-ins, hospitals, nursing, and residential care. All of that was trending at a positive level, some at about the 25 to 3% level. And then in the spring, a huge drop-off. For example, we saw nursing and residential care, those jobs went negative almost to the tune of eight percentage points. And so a a huge effect in that area for healthcare employment as well. Now, some of that has come back, especially in ambulatory settings and and of course hospitals, because the pandemic is ramping up again. We still actually see nursing and residential care employment down a little bit lower than where it was pre-pandemic. So that has not totally come back. And that's very worrisome because those are the people taking care of our most vulnerable population. Those typically are some of the lower wage parts of the health system, and and some of those may just be harder to fill because people don't want to take the risk of doing that work for that lower wage. The other thing that tracks with this are the numbers around people delaying care. And we did, Trina, a survey of consumers that have employer-based insurance. And one of the things that we found back in the spring was about a quarter had said they had delayed care and they had delayed almost three quarters of their care. So we were asking consumers all the different kinds of visits you have, how many of those are you canceling or delaying? And it was about three quarters of their visits back in the Spring. of course some of those were rescheduled or being planned to reschedule and we think you know much of that has happened a lot of surgeries of course were put off and and some of those are now being rescheduled but the challenge and the thing that we really have to think about as a health industry is our own survey show that about 11 percent of people with chronic conditions in the united states are telling us that their chronic conditions are not being managed and so it, it does send up a very important warning for flag to the health ecosystem that we cannot in any way hinder those with complex chronic conditions and chronic conditions from having access to the health system.
1: One of the things that we also asked was who consumers are looking to for reassurance that it's safe to come back. So who are these folks that are looking for better management of their conditions looking to? And I wonder if you can walk through some of those data as well, Ben. I think they were really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think this gets at the issue of trust in the health system and how do you educate and build trust and bring people back into the system where they're comfortable. And we ask consumers to rank their top source of reassurance for rescheduling that delayed care. And by the way, we're talking about a consumer survey that we ran in September. So this is you know very new information. And cases are climbing in many parts of the U.S. So we're kind of back almost to where we were last spring. But anyway, we we asked them, rank your sources of reassurance for scheduling delayed care. Number one is people's doctor. And that does not surprise us. I mean, throughout kind of the history of consumerism in medicine, people's primary care physicians have, pediatricians, their doctors, there's a lot of trust there. Second on the list was the CDC. Third, the local hospital or health system. Fourth was the state and local public health department. Then we have a cluster of almost equal, and certainly within very close proximity in terms of responses the president, my health insurer my governor, and then a little bit lower after that, my friends and family, and on to my employer. And there was actually a pretty large other category. So we do suspect that some people are getting near information from social media and things of that nature. The other reason this trust factor is going to be very, very important is because we are seeing signs of vaccines moving through the process. And there's been some troubling data in the past around consumers saying that may not trust a new vaccine that comes out. So again, I think if we go to that number one response with my doctor, that's going to be the linchpin for building trust for people to come back into the system, but also the linchpin for getting people to come in and be comfortable with vaccines as well.
1: One of the other interesting pieces that we've talked about in the report is just looking overall at U.S. health spending. So it's kind of walking away from 2020, which is you know such an unusual year, obviously, but looking back through the Trump administration, back into a little bit into the Obama administration. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how U.S. spending overall has fared over that period of time.
0: I think this is an interesting point, and I think it's a great one for us to, to end on today, is, is what does that spending history look like and where might it go you know back in 2015 we saw overall national health expenditures up at a 5.8% growth rate so let's just call that you know almost a 6% growth rate what happened after 2015 is that growth rate actually declined. And we saw numbers kind of through 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, really at that mid 4% range of 4.6, 4.2, 4.6, 4.5. So lower than we were back in 2014, 2015, and a much more kind of steady leveled out trend line this actually aligns very closely those that, that by the way that's CMS national health expenditure data that we looked at but it actually aligns very closely with some of our own analysis of employer based data and our projections on medical cost trend in the employer market as well and I think what we see there is some reduction in utilization due to high deductible health plans and more cost sharing it actually helps to bring some of that spending down but of course they saw that in the Medicare program as well the Big question mark going forward is what's going to happen in this year and beyond, especially as we have this big dip in utilization, which means spending went down, but then it goes back up as people have come back into the health system. And now with testing, treating people with COVID-19, and then of course, when the vaccines become available and distributed, all the costs associated with that, big question mark on where are we actually going to end up with overall health spending over the next few years? It'll be interesting to track, and of course, we'll be doing that. I'm going to end it here just with time. And Trina, thank you so much. I mean, you've walked through all of Biden's plank and also gave us a nice insight into what consumers were thinking before the election. And then we walked together through some of those macro issues. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, all of this is available to you for a deep dive with all the data, all of the graphics, everything you could want and need at pwc.com forward slash HRI. And this has been... Next in health.
1: This podcast is brought to you by PWC All Rights Reserved.